remote work has been a boon in a lot of ways to bring in more equity to bring in more diversity to give opportunities to people from different geographies different phases of their life to show up at work in a very different way without worrying about what their life circumstances or geographical limitations look like Are you ready to reinvent your organization and create a workplace of the future? Welcome to the Optimized Workplace. My name is Fran Dean Bishop, and I'm the founder and CEO of Aerobody. Join me each week as I welcome innovators, A-listers, and trailblazers who will share their individual experiences with creating an optimized workplace. This podcast will inspire you to find new and unique ways of helping your organization thrive while providing an exceptional experience for your employees and nourishing their well-being. Ready to get started? Learn more at theoptimizedworkplace.co. Welcome to The Optimized Workplace. I'm your host, Fran Dean Bishop, where discussions with influencers, experts, and innovators are helping transform the well-being and sustainability of today's workplaces and spaces. Today, I welcome Divya Vidardham. Divya is a researcher, designer, communicator, and sustainability advocate. She currently serves as Managing Director of CBRE's Global Workplace Solutions, where she helps organizations align their business values to sustainability strategies and create impact in the communities they live and work in. Welcome, Divya. I'm so glad to have you here at the Optimized Workplace. Thank you so much, Fran. I'm so excited to be here. I'm probably more excited. <laughs> I've been admiring CBRE for quite some time, and I really love the fact that as a woman leader um, in the space, you're not only setting your own trend in terms of a woman in leadership, but particularly in this new uh, era of the future of work. So I'm looking forward to uh, a fabulous discussion. Yeah, let's get to it. So here at the Optimized Workplace, you know, we talk a lot about trends and culture initiatives and particularly sustainability and what's happening in the um, and the well-built environment, you know, you know as well as I do, 90% of our lives are spent in the built environment. And particularly in this new landscape where we're looking at the future of work and remote workers and, um, you know, ESG models and how companies do it better and really inform the citizenship of their companies, which is their human capital, their employees from, from start to finish. And particularly, you know, after COVID, we've seen the pandemic, people are even more um, uh, sensitized to their own health and what is shaping their health and supporting their health and well-being. And, you know, watching Global Workplace Solutions at CBRE, I understand that you guys really do help clients, you know, unpack really challenging issues that are driving their business initiatives and business imperatives. So can you tell us a little bit about more about your work and, and what it looks like on your lens on a day-to-day -day basis when you're working with some of your clients in the field? Absolutely. So as you said, you know, um, at Global Workplace Solutions, uh, we really work with clients across the globe in a variety of different sectors across a variety of different building types. So it's not just offices, we're talking manufacturing, labs, healthcare systems, you name it, we work on different types of buildings. And um, in a lot of ways, our work with clients is to really get them to understand the potential impact of their portfolio on their people, on their operations, how, and how they can really make investments in it and make 
smart business decisions, whether it is return to work, whether it is sustainability, whether it is how to provide better integrated software solutions for real estate, for them to really get the value out of real estate and make it a real asset for themselves as an organization and for the employees and the people who work in them. Mm, So much richness there, because it it seems like in your sandbox, when you go into work, you can play in any one direction or any, you know, quadrant, because those, those initiatives are changing on a regular basis. What clients are dealing with on a regular basis is constantly changing, depending on the culture and the country. So what has been kind of the highlight of your year thus far when you're, when you've looked at Again, people are coming back to work and trying to get these employees to come back into buildings that they're really pushing back with. I mean, you you read the statistics just like I do, you know, from Financial Times and Wall Street. Employees are not so apt to come back. So, you know, what's been the highlight for you thus far? I would say that, you know, it's a mixed bag when it comes to return to work in general. Our take is that it really needs to match what the organization's values are and what are they trying to get out of their policies, right? So we don't dictate to our clients what their policy needs to look like, but we do provide them with a lot of data and insights. What was their workplace usage like before this whole change happened, before remote work working became kind of the norm? Uh, you know, what was the value that their employees were getting out of the space and with the different amenities or the way they use the space? And over the last three years, what have been the the kind of concerns and demands that have come out? Um, so, you know, we got right at the beginning, we had so much, um, you know, questions and concerns about air quality, about filtration, about what are you doing Um, about X and Y and how are you preventing. And the thing is, all of that happened so rapidly and it was evolving every day, that information, that now we're getting a chance to look back at everything that we studied, that everything that we collected data on, what were the concerns, what were uh, the employees bringing to the organization. And we're able to take it back to the client with our insight and our analysis to say, This is what your organizational employees care about. This is what the people running your buildings are telling you in terms of what is working and what is not working. How can we bring these data and insights to you as an organization and give you more kind of opportunities and ideas about where you can go next, right? So when it comes to whether you want to optimize your portfolio, from a sustainability point of view, on one side, I could be like, great, just reduce your real estate footprint. You're automatically reducing your carbon impact in the world, right? Like you're literally just not using as much space. But what does that mean in terms of your data usage? What does that mean in terms of your human experience? What does that mean in terms of your collaboration opportunities? That is something that we need to bring to the table because from CBRE's point of view, yes, we're real estate. Um, management, we're real estate advisors, but we're really our clients' partners in their journey of using real estate as an asset, of growing their business, of really developing it. So even when I come up with sustainability initiatives, it's balanced with the perspective. I talk to my digital and technology teams uh, and partners. I talk to our you know, uh, global client leads. I talk to our executives to be like, hey, these are the things that we're thinking about. So we can absolutely quantify what the the usage of real estate looks like or the carbon impact of you 
having 10 offices in Vancouver versus one looks like, what are we balancing it against? What is our recommendation to the client? What are the other insights? Can we present them together so that they can make a decision? And, um, you know, in addition to that, if they are saying, uh, no, we want to keep our offices going and we want to go back to work as usual, can we prevent uh, or rather present alternative options to them to say, great, you can do that. You can build in hoteling systems. You can build in collaboration opportunities in a way that you're utilizing your spaces more effectively. And then a lot of the, you know, the leases changing or the, the use of the space changing, we actually are able to work with clients to come up with sustainability criteria for them to consider. So if they're going to go lease a new space or if they're going to go buy or develop a new property, like our insights start even before that, right? So we can tell them, hey, these are the things that you should be thinking about and you can ask. And now landlords and organizations are willing to open those conversations at a much broader level than just saying, this is the address we want to go and have a showcase building there. So I think the the conversation has opened up a lot more with more and more awareness. Fantastic. Oh, I love this. I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Because I think that one thing that is kind of standing out to me is that you're speaking from a solution based so often what we hear and 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 what we see, you know, we're on more of the program planning side of the house when it comes to optimization. So the real estate developer, the designers already come in, do their done their thing, or we get to work with them before they start to do their thing. And then after the fact, then it's around, okay, so this is the individual, this is the set of circumstances. How do we program around that? But what I love in the way you're speaking about this, it's very solution based thinking about the end in mind. And three things that really stood out to me from what you said is survey, reflect, analyze. In in this day and age, I still can't believe we're almost, you know, 2023 going into 2024, people are still deciding without co-creating, without having a conversation, without surveying. And that's one thing I know that you're not just saying that. I've received uh, CBRE um, surveys before just as someone who works in a built environment or that uh, helps uh, design built environments, I've seen those surveys. They've come out to me and they've said, hey, can you, are you willing to speak on this? And then we'll show you the results afterwards. And they're very lengthy and detailed surveys, which I think is, is brilliant because again, you're trying to see what is important to the end user and how they are moving and working and thinking about that space. And then, like you said, you're kind of analyzing that and drilling it back and reflecting rather on that. And then, again, analyzing how you move forward. So let's talk about the move forward piece a little bit. I had the privilege to visit uh, the General Services Administration um, headquarters here in Washington, D.C. We're based in Washington, D.C., and they have something called the Workplace Innovation Lab, mm-hmm. which is very much, you know, you know those footprints, you know, as well as I do. They're very much, the, you know, that um, uh, uh, co-collaboration um, kind of the WeWork model, it's light, it's bright, it's airy, it's fun, it's, you know, all that fantastic. The energy is fabulous. What has been amazing to me is that the federal you know, government, you know, the U.S. federal government is actually looking to have these co-collaborative spaces now and work in conjunction. They recognize that people are trying to um, uh, lessen their footprint, as you said, you know, carbon neutral, carbon decrease, whatever. But at the same time, they realize they still have a huge footprint. So what do we do with that? And how do we bring that together? I'm curious if you can talk to us um, a little bit about that specific need, right? How are you 
you know, what are those conversations looking like when you, particularly when you have, you know, we have a lot of listeners that are, are responsible for huge portfolios or are just managing, you know, huge, uh, a very large um, human capital talent across multiple states, multiple countries. How are you having those particular conversations about how to redesign that work, um, you know, that remote work or really work-life model? What kinds of things are coming up? I'm, I'm curious from your perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is the question, right? That That is the question that's on everybody's minds right now in terms of what are you redefining as the work experience? What are you redefining as the built environment experience? There's a few different trends that are happening, right? I'm not, I don't think I'm I'm qualified quite to comment on everything, but I can tell you the things that we're looking at from a sustainability point of view and some of the recent conversations that we're having. I think the first thing is you have existing spaces, like a client like the GSA um, or like any organization that has, existing buildings, they're not going to spin it off. They're not going to get rid of it. What are the ways in which you can use that space for you to utilize it to their best value? Um, And, you know, part of that is building that experience. Are you creating a healthy workplace? Are you creating opportunities for people to come in and have more of a collaborative interaction um, in the way you're using kind of different portions of the building. Because I think the one thing that I would really like to, you know, get people to start thinking about is it's not a return to pre-pandemic. We don't need to go back to the same modes of work. We have a real, real opportunity here to reflect and think about, hey, what do we really want, right? Because remote work has been a boon in a lot of ways to bring in more equity, to bring in more diversity, to give opportunities to people from different geographies, you know, different phases of their life to show up at work in a very different way without worrying about what their life circumstances or geographical limitations look like. How can we preserve a lot of that through work in the built environment and through asking them what what does actually motivate you to come to work? And I think that's important, right? And from a sustainability point of view, and even from a health and wellness point of view, the other aspect of it is how are you creating that reassurance? How are you creating the environment that people want to come back to work without worrying about, is this a cold or a flu? Or is this something more serious? Is this going to set me back? What's going on? What are the practices in place that are we are promoting health and wellness, that we're promoting kind of the built environment as a real asset going forward? And, yeah. you know, while they, I would say hopefully that the anxiety levels of people coming into workspaces have been reducing over time as people start getting used to the, the changes that are happening, there's mm-hmm. still more a heightened awareness of that. Um, as opposed to before. So people are asking more questions about how are you promoting health in my workspace? Are you using sustainable materials? Are you using non-toxic cleaners? Um, How often are we getting services? And these are valid, legitimate questions. So it's a matter of saying, it's one thing to tell your organization, this is our policy going forward, what, you, what you're hoping as a leader to get out of that policy is for people to come back to work and show up as their best selves, to have more collaboration, to have more productivity. And part of that is creating kind of that atmosphere of being heard, of being listened to, and then reflecting on how are you providing that for them. 
And I think having that perspective, having that conversation, it's been inspiring to to talk to leaders who are really coming to the table with this this kind of thought process, with this kind of understanding based on what they've heard over the last few years, and not just setting that aside as a once in a lifetime experience, but really reflecting and learning from it. Yeah. You mentioned trends. Are there any like, you know, is there one or two trends that you're seeing that, um, you know, your customers or just in general are are leading more than another? You had mentioned before or during the pandemic, obviously, was air quality. But are there any things that are absolutely a business imperative that you're finding customers are willing to spend money on or make investment in? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, it's not a trend as much as it's an evolution over the last um, three, four decades. Almost every clients that client that we're working with right now has some kind of a public commitment, right? That they've made in terms of um, sustainability, whether it's a sustainable development goal as aligned with the UN framework, whether it's with net zero, uh, whether it's with you know their own local frameworks, they've all made commitments, and we're getting closer to most of their deadlines when it comes to those commitments, right? So. Now, they, there is a lot more focus on understanding, hey, how are we doing, you know, um, okay. for our commitments? And they're asking all of their vendors this. And in most of the cases, CBRE is one of the largest spends as a vendor, as a supplier in their supply chain. And we personally are very, very proud that we have very strong sustainability commitments. We have science-based targets that have been vetted and verified. We are working across our global supply chain to make a lot of change happen, to create awareness, to create training. And we're able to take that to them to say, hey, it's not just us coming and telling you spend money on X or, you know, go improve your HVAC system and give us more projects. We are doing this internally first. So we're piloting a lot of the technologies that we're talking about. We're piloting a lot of the processes and the change management that we're bringing to you. And that becomes a really robust reference for us wherever we go. And we're lucky to have such a committed, you know, leadership on our own, um, in our own organization who are able to invest that even before we're being asked these questions. So we're ahead of the curve in a lot of different ways. And that's something that our clients really appreciate. Um, and so the, the, the kind of secondary part to that is a lot of these people made commitments a while ago and then did much, didn't do much about it. Because there was a lot of low-hanging fruit. There were a few green champions. They were doing things that was starting them on that process, right? But the big goals, they're too big to process, to really think about, oh, how does an organization that manufactures with a global supply chain, with you know portfolios and properties and people working across 15, 20, 100 different countries, how do they even think about getting to net zero? And now... There's more reporting, there's more metrics, there's more transparency that says, this is where all your impact is. And here are, you know, X number of ways that you can approach each kind of area of your impact. And people are starting to grasp that there is a path forward. And that's the biggest thing, right? Like when we started the the climate change discussions, um, there was a lot of, oh, this is doom and gloom. And now I see that it's a lot more conversation about opportunity for change and impact and really being able to look at it from the point of view of there is a path, there's a solution. 
what are the steps that we need to do today so we're setting ourselves up to get to where we need to get to so the commitments are really changing into roadmaps into pathways into solutions and that's something that's been such an honor and a pleasure to watch and be part of you know be really part of the solution like you said um as opposed to just the people coming and saying hey you know you really need to be paying attention to this i think the powerful thing about what you said is that um people have to be excited right it's yeah. not just i mean it's not about policy policy po- i mean i'm in dc so you know we, we get policy to death right so the policy means nothing i mean just because you have a great slick report that you can put in a press release and you know send out to to at your board meetings at the end, annual report at the end of the year means nothing and i think how that translates now post covid is that the real shareholders who are your consumers and your employees are recognizing that yeah 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 you say a lot but you're not doing a lot and i see it because you're that a lot is not impacting me and so it's where the rubber hits the road is people are holding you accountable for that right there's a reason why things changed so much during covid because people had cameras and so they could show what was going on in real time so you could say one thing but we can show you in real time and i think that um again employees are holding people holding companies accountable and so these esg models or policies or what have you that they're rolling out really do have to mean something uh i know we've seen this forever in our in our business uh we w- work with something called the well-being maturity model mm-hmm. and it's really how organizations really do go from as you just said a one off you know, let's put in new air filters. Let's put in new HVAC. For us, it's, okay, let's have a yoga class. Let's have a, you know, oh, mental health resilience. Everybody gets a therapist. But how does that tie back to, again, the bottom line, the revenue and how you're not only um, taking care of people, but how you're uh, compensating, recognizing people for being able to take care of self, Mm -hmm. right? That's huge. That's where you really close the envelope. It's not just putting that in the benefits offering that you get X number of dollars a year or X number of credits or what have you towards a wellness initiative. Did you actually take the time off? I have to say that back in the day, we worked with um, Fannie Mae was a client of ours and they did something really cool around this, which I think is it kind of informs this conversation too around ESG is that you know, for their executives at the time, they had this well-being program and they 100% reimbursed it when um, not only did the um, employees first pay for it, but they showed up to 80% of the offering. They had mm. to show up, right? So it was tied back then to their performance and to their mandates that way. And this was the executive level. This wasn't just anybody in the organization. And I think to your point, the more and more organizations get that that's what's the imperative. That's the real driver. It's get excited about it. This is what we're trying to do. This really is the the lifeblood of our organization. It really will make a difference. That's when we really see that, you know, the monumental change and things like that. So I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, I know we're, we're coming um, to our wrap up soon, but I want to switch gears a little bit because you have such a wide lens, I think, in your work, right? You sit in, in, Canada and CBRE is a global footprint, right? Um, but I'm so curious from your perspective, if you have, you know, uh, some thoughts on areas of the world or of the globe that are really getting it right when it comes to the sustainability conversation and really 
um, making changes that matter and that really make a long lasting impact. I had the, the opportunity last year with my husband to go to Morocco and Portugal. And um, it really opened my eyes quite a bit. And Dubai, we went to Dubai later in the year, but um, it really opened my eyes because I think that so often we talk about things, but we don't really put them into practice a lot of times, right? Again, it's it's kind of an initiative and a policy, but you don't really see it carried through. And that really blew me away in Portugal, where you really saw not just green roofs, but I saw these, you know, apartment buildings and office buildings where, you know, they had these trellises of greenery. You know, every other restaurant I went into, there was a natural landscape of some sort. So I could breathe in nature, right? It was um, touchless entries almost everywhere. It was amazing. Like I didn't have to touch. So I didn't have to worry about passing germs. So I'm so curious from your perspective, you're you're a global leader. You know, you're out there, you're seeing lots of different things from your vantage point. Is there any region of the world that you feel is getting it right? And what are they doing to do so? Personally, my experience has been that most regions have something that they really are doing very well. What can we learn from that for us to be able to translate it across the board? And I think that's the the, the really cool thing about being a global lead and being in a global organization where we look at a portfolio. Like, I'll give you a few different examples, right? Like, Portugal is such a great example. And I, I would say Spain is another example of where they really embrace biomimicry. They really embrace nature. And I would say that's true of, um, you know, Singapore from even 20, 30 years ago, where they really embraced green roofs. And they were doing that for a very long time that it's become the norm. Um, and when it comes to health and wellness or, you know, touchless technology or being able to really avoid contact, uh, you know, com- contagion of any sort, it would be Asian countries who were doing this way, way before anyone else were, was thinking about it. Um, or I would say, you know, in terms of, you know, wellness and adopting wellness as a building standard, Australia um, had multiple standards, you know, even before other parts of the world, like, you know, America or Canada even started talking about it from a structured point of view. So the, the short answer is there's not one. <laughs> uh, it really is a matter of saying, like, what is working really well here? And why are we not seeing it in other places? Is it a cultural thing? Is it a social thing? Um, or is it more of, you know, we're really able to uh, present the value of something better in a particular ecosystem because it's all connected together um, because there's a, you know, there's a cultural conditioning for it or there is a historic way that things have been done that allows you to bring in a technology and it really just makes sense. How can we take that and take it across the world? Um, and within an organization, it's actually great now because we're able to take their own examples. We can say, hey, you know, your European counterparts are doing this, not because of a regulatory requirement, because they have found that this brings happiness and joy and well-being and collaboration to their to their employees. Mm-hmm. What are you doing differently in North America to achieve the same results? You don't need to do the same things, but you want to achieve the same results. And if you don't have an answer to that question, what is preventing you from trying the same thing? And the more you talk, the more questions I, that are coming up for me. <laughs> I have to ask you, can you wrap in, uh, um, as you're talking about this, because you're right. I mean, if they're doing it in, in Canada or if they're doing it in 
Spain, then why aren't you doing it in North America? Do you have any thought process on that for smaller companies, midsize, or even small businesses? We have a lot of small business owners that listen, that how they could possibly think about that as well. Or how they could, you know, how, again, how they span that out, right, in terms of their region where they sit in the world. Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 mindset is is probably the, the most important thing. It's not about whether you have a global footprint or a huge budget. From my point of view, each one of us is an entrepreneur within our organization. I think even within CBRE, I'm one of eight global leads for sustainability. So each of us takes a sector and then we really take our each of our sectors and say, what can we do the best in this sector? How can we learn from each other? And I would say the same thing. Whether you're a whether you're a large organization or a small business, you can apply the same principles. It doesn't need to be your organization. If you're listening to a podcast and you hear this idea that a light bulbs go light bulb goes off in your head, you may not be able to prototype something from scratch, but you can certainly look up, hey, where has this been done before? Can I get a case study? Can I reach out to someone like CBRE or like a smaller firm or your local sustainability consultant who's working on, you know, a well project or or something? You ask them, I guarantee you that they are keeping track of these things, whether or not they're able to apply it within the narrow scope of works that you typically work in with them. And most of them will be willing to at least have a conversation with you about how do how do these technologies get applied or how do these practices get into place or within your own organization when it comes to well-being like even if you're not able to offer free mental health counseling for everybody how did that decision get taken what were the different components of that that may be relevant to a smaller organization who's starting off and who are willing to apply it or maybe it's a matter of scale. It costs a, a, a ton for a larger organization, but it actually makes sense for you to apply to your organization of 10 because it's not going to cost you that much money because it's a much simpler framework to apply in. And I think, frankly, that, that would be what I would say, that it doesn't matter whether you're a global organization who has offices in five different continents or whether you are a small business owner who has a completely local clientele. I think... Taking from the point of view of, does this idea make sense to me? Is there a way that can be applied to my business, to my facility? Uh, can I question that? Can I ask? Can I get more information on that from the people who seem to have done it at whatever scale and see whether it makes sense for me? Like this morning, I had somebody from one of our clients um, in uh, Pennsylvania call us and say, Hey, I'm really passionate about you know, recycling in my personal life. And I found all of these things. Are you guys doing it? That's great. And we welcome those kind of questions because then we can actually, one, share the great work that we're doing. And our client was very happy to know that we're doing all of these things. And she said, you really just have to come talk to our office and let them know that you're doing all of these things because some of it is just communication, behavior change and management. And they, they may not be using kind of um, the recycling bins like the way they're supposed to because they didn't know that this exactly. is something that you can do, right? Yeah. So it's really about how are you thinking about it? How are you communicating it? And are your ideas translating into practice with the things that you're already doing? And just applying that would be kind of the, the biggest thing. Fantastic. 
So as we come closer to our close, I'm so curious, uh, you know, this being the, the the month where, you know, women are being celebrated in small business and leadership and so many things. Who inspires you? Is there anyone in particular that inspires you in your career and the work that you're doing? I would say like, you know, I've, I've had role models in every, um, every walk of life. Um, my, in, even within my family, we had lots and lots of really high achieving professional women we had a lot of doctors in a time that there were not a lot of women doctors in india lawyers which is not a typical profession at all um, my mother was an executive um at a private organization which you know she she went up the ranks and she was not your typical executive she was someone who um you know started off have being a small business owner and then went into a large organization and just worked her way up the ranks. Like that, that was what she did. And it really showed me that, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. You just have to figure out what's working for you. And then I've been super inspired by all of the professors I've met, like every, um, you know, women or men, but mostly women, like, because I've always had conversations with them that are more, more broad, you know, more about life and how are you balancing your interests in this versus what you're doing with your time and, you know, how did you think about XYZ or how did you even find out that this opportunity exists? And yeah. for some reason, I've always felt more comfortable asking those questions and having more of a, a free-ranging conversation that it's been a moment of inspiration and learning from for me to feel like, I can be a leader. I can do something completely new and figure it out. Like I don't need to know what I'm doing day one. I totally meant to ask you, what drove you to this profession? <laughs> it was completely an accident. Uh, I wanted to be a doctor growing up. So I was really passionate about science and math. And I did all of that. And um, in India, you're supposed to kind of select your profession going into undergrad. And you're supposed to, we we wrote a bunch of like, you know, evaluations and so on. And I happened to take a couple of architecture evaluations and I did really well in that. And I was like, oh, that's something that I've never thought about. That looks interesting. And I love the intersection of thinking about human behavior and design and really like creating an environment for people. I went into architecture school and I loved the 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 thinking aspects of it, the research aspects of it. I will be the first person to tell you I'm not the best artist out there. And so when it came to the practice of architecture, I was like, I think I'll be better off behind the scenes and not the person <laughs> drawing stuff. Um, and so I got into research and, you know, as part of the process, I've always been all about nature and sustainability in the small ways growing up and getting into the practice of architecture. I really got into what is the impact of buildings um, on our environment? How can we do it? Like I always wanted to preserve the tree on the site. Or figure out, you know, how can we practice vernacular and traditional architectural styles when we're coming up with the design? And um, my research just formalized and crystallized that interest. And I mm -hmm. thought I was going to become a researcher and a professor. I went into undergrad and then graduate school for research. And as part of my graduate schooling, we had the ability to do consulting projects for real world problems with clients. So go do sustainability audits or come up with sustainability solutions. And I fell in love with it. 
I was like, I want to be on the ground solving problems with people, talking to people, being able to actually test and scale and, you know, um, get feedback that what I'm doing is right. And, uh, you know, I can learn and grow every day as part of this. And so I got into consulting from that point of view. So I think, you know, what I've learned is that one, I <laughs> I might think that I want to do something, but um, I, I keep changing my mind and it's ended up in really good experiences for me. So it's been more of a, what do I want to try? What do I want to achieve more than what profession do I want to be in? So yeah. it's been it's been a kind of evolutionary journey getting to where I am right now. I love it. It's fantastic. Just phenomenal. It's, it's, it's wonderful to hear your story and also to see where you've taken it. Because I think there's so much more to be done in the built environment. So it's wonderful to meet a, a, another female lead who is making changes and, and, and moving and shaking things. What part of what you do you love the most? Because you do a lot of stuff, right? But what is the part that really like gets you up in the morning, gets you super, super excited? I'm really lucky that I get to talk to so many different clients and people across the board. And I think that's the part I love the most. It it doesn't honestly even matter where we start the conversation, what the, the driver for the conversation was. It is really about the fact that I get to listen and I have the, the privilege and the position to be able to say, hey, I'm blah, blah, blah from CBRE. I want to know what you think about any topic that I'm curious about. And I think that that's the part that I really enjoy because every conversation, I learn a lot. And more, more often than not, there's always something that we walk away saying, let's explore that. This is something that we're doing. This is something that we can do for you. Or we're doing it. Do you know? What can we do better so you know what we're doing for you and what you're doing yourself? How can we continue this conversation and grow on it? And step one is understanding where we are. And that's the that's my absolute favorite part of my job. The fact that I get to initiate and be part of so many different conversations and kickstart ideas. Um, I think one of the one of the challenges or cons is that I rarely get to be through implementation, right? When we when we when we get to our client says, yep, we want a sustainability program, we want a waste recycling program, we want you to come and do data analytics. And I'm like, great, this is what it's going to look like. This is how we're going to roll out strategy. Hi, here's the person who's going to do it for you. I'm going to continue to stay in touch. And you know, we can absolutely have these discussions. I don't get to be as much in the weeds as I used to be. I used to be the technical expert. I used to be the person on the ground doing the work and now I'm more of the, the front end yeah. but you know it's it's amazing so and I'm really enjoying the learning I'm really enjoying the conversations at this point um, and you know with some of our clients we do get to to see evolution over a period of time and then I have a conversation this year and I go back next year I'm like hey we did this for you what went well for you what didn't go well for you can we do something differently can we move to the next steps as we discussed last year and really um, looking at that for a, from a high level point of view and because I'm not involved in the day-to-day I get to really see the impact of the work that we do without being caught up in the day-to-day you know, the grind or the routine of saying this is your report this is your monthly analytics this is you know 10,000 different people I had to talk to um, so 
new, but also lots of fun. Curious about your any passion projects that you have for um, this year, 2023, as you look out the year, what are you most excited about? Are there any passion projects that you have in store? I'm not sure that it's a passion project, but it's certainly my my growth project for 2023. Like I said, I'm I'm one of multiple global leads within CBRE for sustainability. And I recently took on my current role, which is being the global lead for the life sciences sector. So I'm learning a lot about the industry in life sciences. It's also a very challenging portfolio because we have high-functioning manufacturing, we have research and development, and we have offices and other types of buildings. So really diving in deep to understand more about the not just the, the technical requirements for it, but what really drives our clients in this space and um, talk to them where they are. So that's that's my learning for the year, for sure, that I'm I'm really trying to to learn more about a new sector and grow in there. Well, it'll be exciting to watch you as you span out this sector in life sciences over this year and see what comes up. And uh, we invite you back to share with us what you've learned and I guess what the possibilities are as you move into the next year. Thank you so much for being with us today. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for for inviting me, Fran. I, I loved having this conversation and, and learning from you um, as well from everything from how to how to interview and how to listen, but also the the lovely nuggets that you shared about your own organization and business. Thank you, Divya. And thank you for being with us today on The Optimized Workplace. We really appreciate you being a fantastic audience. And remember, it's always many monumental moments that make the biggest difference. I'm your host, Fran Dean Bishop. Have a fantastic afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Optimized Workplace. For more insights and resources, visit theoptimizedworkplace.co. If you enjoyed this episode, please help spread the word and share with those who will enjoy it as well. See you soon.